Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Mothers of the Revolution, the latest feature documentary film from director Briar March, tells the story of a group of women who came together to change the world. These women marched from Wales to Berkshire to protest over nuclear weapons being kept at the RAF Air Base at Greenham Common. They formed the Greenham Common Women's Peace Group that followed and challenged world leaders, altering the course of history and went on to inspire millions as the world's first and biggest female-only demonstration, preceded only by the suffragettes. It's a terrific documentary film and surprisingly emotional. It really pulls you into these women's lives and their stories, and just a remarkable arc to all of this in terms of the impact they had on the anti-nuke movement as well as the impact they had around the world, literally. We're joined today by the director of Mothers of the Revolution, and that would be Briar March. Briar, welcome to Film School Radio. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I have to tell you how emotionally involving this film was for me. Um, I mean, first of all, I'm a big fan of women getting together to do many of the things that we see in this film which is form a community, enhance a greater understanding of our own humanity as human beings, which is almost always the case when women get together and organize, especially around political issues. And this is certainly not an exception to that. They they did in this case. And um, I'm just going to ask you how you got involved and what inspired you to move forward with this as a documentary. Well, um, I actually was approached by my producers, Lena Menon and Matthew Metcalf, and it was coming up to the 40-year anniversary of the Greenham Women's Commons Peace Camp. And so they were thinking, you know, it's, it's a good time to make a film about this. And I had heard about the camp um, only briefly, but 10 years before that, I'd actually edited a film called No Nukes is Good Nukes about the anti-nuclear protests in New Zealand and how New Zealand became nuclear free. And in that film, we had featured some of the women from Greenham Common. And I remember like looking at the photographs and they were like black and white photographs of some woman holding hands around uh, a fence. And I don't know, something about black and white photos and everything, it seemed very much in the past to me. And, you know, it sort of like was interesting but I didn't really know that much about it so when I got this phone call about you know would you be interested in directing a film on this for a moment I actually had to remember what this was all about like I was like hang on a minute oh yes yes okay okay but you know I didn't really know that much and so I started researching it and the more I learned and the more I talked to these women and heard their stories and and really started to try and imagine what it was like to be them and like to live in this this peace camp around an American base for such a long period of time out in the English winters and all of that. I was like, how come I didn't know the story? So, you know, that was for me the real reason to make this, you know, was like, why has this such phenomenal story sort of 
lot, you know, not been off my radar for so long. And I think, I mean, that's the interesting thing, you know, when we, you know, we, we are just releasing the film, by the way, it is, it's about to be released in the States tomorrow. Um, and, you know, like, but we have done a few screenings, test screenings, and that is the one thing that people keep saying to me is like, why do I not know the story? So I think um, that alone is a good reason to want to make the film. And you're so right. Uh, you know, that's the thing I'm finding about in American history. There's so many things, and I've been around a little while and I'm fairly well educated. And there's so many things that I'm just learning about and in, in, they're very much in the same vein as what you're describing, particularly in our country, in my country of the United States, around race. It's eye-opening and it also can't help but lead you to wonder about what are some of the other things that you don't know about, right? Especially when it comes to when it involves rights of people who have been denied rights in the past. And here is a great example. I mentioned in the introduction that this, since the suffragettes here in the United States, which was around the 19, late 1919s, when they started demonstrating for voting rights here in the United States. And what better cause to demonstrate for, to organize around than the preservation of life which is what these women were really doing when they when they essentially locked arms around the Greenham Commons when they did that. That was about really the preservation of human life, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, I think one thing I want to go back on that you've just said is like, you know, there are so many stories that, you know, you're surprised that you, you didn't know about. And I, I think that's one of the things that this film is looking at. It's a 40 year, years on since this peace camp was formed and the Cold War is over. You know, I mean, we still have nuclear. This issue is, has not gone away, but it, it's changed. The narrative and discussion has changed um, at the moment. And so, you know, when people look back at that time, the Cold War, and they think about how it it, it finished. A lot of people think about Reykjavik. They think about how, you know, Gorbachev and Reagan got together and they finally sort of came to some agreements and they got this treaty. And then eventually, um, you know, the missiles that were in Europe were removed and missiles in, in Russia pointed at America were removed. And that is sort of how it ended, right? And that's true. That's how it ended. But there were lots of culminate, culminating factors to how that moment came about. And usually in the history books and the things that you know we read a lot, well, at least for me when I was researching this, they talk a lot about those political aspects and the political moves. So what role and what function did the grassroots movements have? And those are the grassroots movements in Europe and also in America, I mean, not, I, by the way, I want to say that there was the Seneca Women's Peace Camp in America. So there was actually a peace camp like the Green Common Women's Peace Camp in Berkshire in um, the States around another air base. And that was formed in 1983 and after, you know, the, the Green and Common one was formed. So there were a few kind of popping up about and there were other things that, you know, were both men and women actions that were involved. But there was obviously a very strong woman sort of um, voice in this issue. So going back to what I was saying, I think, you know, 
we're looking back now at history and sometimes we have another lens on that history and we start to see really what were the other things that were shaping the way that these leaders were making decisions and how things actually came about. And really the thesis of this film is looking at what impact did these women have in helping to end the Cold War and kind of get their, you know, their mission or their objective through, which is to get rid of nuclear weapons in Europe. And I mean, I personally believe that they really did have an impact. I mean, I'm not trying to say in the film that it was all because of them. I'm saying that they had a contribution to make. And why I think this is interesting, like why do I want to make this film now? You know, it's something that happened in the past and there are a lot of other things we could look at now in terms of activism. I think there's a lot we can learn from them. You know, I think that they show us an example of how a grassroots movement have gone about and tried to do something and they've actually had an impact and achieved something. Now, this is a very, you know, heartwarming or inspiring thing to take note of. It means, you know, when we're feeling despondent about the issues around us now, around climate change and even nuclear, you know, we can look at these examples and think, look, you know, when you look back at history, you can really see the change. You can really see the impact. And that's something that I take heart from because, you know, I've been walking down the street and, you know, with a banner in my hand and and truly, honestly thought to myself, you know, really what difference will this make? You know, I'm not there at those summits making decisions around like climate change and stuff, you know, really driving my electric car, like it's just like a drop in the ocean. But I think all those drops together, when we band together, they do actually create the ocean. So so that is really what this film is about. I do want to talk about something that you mentioned earlier about making New Zealand nuclear free Mm. and the Mm -hmm. history of nuclear testing in the South Pacific and also in Australia. But I would also want to make an observation and I'm I'm generalizing. So if I overgeneralize, please tell me. I think there's something about this particular protest, the Greenham Common protest, a women's peace camp, that is very practical. And I tend to think that women are much more practical than men are, generally speaking. I'm just making some general assessments where men would more likely think of some broader uh, issue that would seem important, but at the moment, not achievable in the sense of this is a long-term goal or something about some other political consideration where these women decided, what can we do? What is the, what's immediately in front of us? And it just strikes me as this is something, and I think in just general terms, women are more practical than men are. And I think that that sensibility feeds into what they did. What can we do? Plus I, again, I'm, to see the, the when you see this film, Mothers of the Revolution, there are no men that are surrounding the RAF Greenham Common Air Force Base, and it's a very powerful. It's such a powerful image as well. That's another part of this: the image of women involved in something like this, facing down the nuclear threat. Again, correct me if you think I'm I'm wrong or whatever you want to say no I mean look it's fine look I mean I think it was a woman's protest so obviously 
the fact these are a group of women, it did influence the way that they did things. But I think maybe I would start by talking about how it became a, a woman's uh, peace camp. So initially it started with a group of a woman in Wales and they created like this group called the Woman for Life on Earth. And they were frustrated because this whole pro proposal of these weapons coming onto uh, British soil, what they felt there wasn't enough conversation around it in the media. You know, they, they didn't feel that their concerns were being heard. Mm -hmm. And there was a peace movement, right? And it was that the majority of that peace movement was CND. And I mean, CND is really amazing and also had a really important role to play. But at that time in the early 80s, at least the way some of the women described it to me is they said that there was a lot of guys, you know, with a beard, a white beard talking scientifically about some, you know, nuclear uh, missile and like the problems with it and the destruction it would do and, and very sort of convoluted science and things like that. And they're like, oh, well, I'm just worried about my kids, you know. Like, right, I right. mean, look at one of these, um, one of these cruise missile uh, missiles alone is a thousand times stronger than the a bomb that fell in Hiroshima. You know, like we already know what the impact of that was. And this is going to be a thousand times more, just one, and these 96 of them coming. I mean, like I am... Um, waking up at night with these nightmares about, you know, how am I going to get my daughter from school or my son from school? And, you know, like, I mean, I mean, it's quite morbid, but even some people see that they had considered, you know, whether they would even like live through that. And if they would have to, you know, actually kill their children, I mean, that sounds terrible, but they, they basically thought that uh, a bomb falling down and the, the magnitude of what that was, was so, unlivable that the right thing to do would be to not live through it so these are the kinds of things that you know these women and a lot of mothers were thinking about and it's not just mothers you know there were you know in the peace camp there were all sorts of different types of women not only women who had children but they were driven by this idea of you know the uh, thinking about life thinking yeah. about um the future, thinking about the next generation. And so that's why I guess it became such a story that women resonated with. But in terms of that whole thing of the practicality and everything that you're talking about, like one thing that, you know, I found interesting is that meanwhile, there was these guys, you know, debating all these nuclear, anti-nuclear, you know, perspectives in the media from this very intellectual perspective. You know, the, this first group of women from Wales that decided to walk to the airbase, they made a little pamphlet and on it they had a picture of a child from Hiroshima. And then they just said something like, we care about the future. Do you want this for your kids? Right. And it was just so strong and so, yeah, as you, you might use the word practical, like it was very much a emotional conversation and a moral conversation. Right. Um, and and that, I guess, resonated with people really quickly. You know, it really spoke to the heart of all this. And I think we can get 
you know, sucked into all of the politics, you know, like, but how are we going to do this? Like back in that time, it's like, but if we take our missiles away, we're endangering ourselves. And, you know, we're, it's a foolish thing. And, and we kind of get caught up in all of the sort of like politics around it. We're in, in the end, it's like this simple thing. Do you want to die or not? You know, do you know, like this is not just a, like a, an issue for a few years. Like if one of these missiles actually came, went, you know, came here or anywhere for that matter, it's it's going to impact generations and generations. I mean, who wants that? So, you know, in the end, that the, these women felt like it was just like they've got to do something. They've got to do it now. And you have people talk about ideas and then you have people who can make them into concrete actions. Yes. So that's what they're doing. You know, they're like creating a presence, an ongoing presence around this airbase. And they are also coming up with all these creative and like interesting like ways of demonstrating that their views, you know, like lots. There were so many different interesting actions. And that's what the film also looks at. It, it shows how creative they were, how, you know, how much they thought outside the box, you know, they even went to Russia, they even went to America, and they even had a court case against Ronald Reagan, you know, like, they did all sorts of things, you know, they ha they held hands around the base, but, you know, that it didn't stop there. And they went from every direction. Thank you for that. That's a great encapsulation of, of so many of the things that they did. And just to take a kind of a half a step back from all that, the weapons were being these nuclear weapons were being placed in England because at the time, the United States and the Soviet Union at that time was it were in an arms race uh, to build as many nuclear weapons as they possibly could. I think at the height of the Cold War, that's what it was called back then, the between the United States and the Soviet Union, there were on the order of more than 40,000 nuclear missiles, weapons, bombs of some sort. 40,000 of them. Now we have done a great deal to reduce the amount of actual weapons in uh, nuclear weapons in the world, but they're now much more potent. And this happened in 1981. And it did in many ways, what they did, what these women did was to set off a chain reaction of other people stepping forward around the world to begin to challenge the Soviet Union, the United States to do better. And this film just gives us such an insight and such a, uh, an on-the-ground look at how it happened. And the women that you talk to in the film uh, are just amazing and remarkable. You interview them, you get to see how they are today, their perspective on what happened in 1981. And it's just beautifully done. And as I said before, this is such an emotional film in, a, in, the, in the sense that um, what they did, but also their stories, their individual stories and collectively. Yeah, um, I mean, there were so many women involved in this uh, peace camp, and there's even a term that's green and woman everywhere because, you know, it, you could either be living at the camp or you could be at home babysitting someone else's kids who were at the camp or you could be the person on the phone just disseminating some information. So there was never the view that any one woman was more important than another. In fact, it was considered a structureless um, society or, you know, uh, organization. So there were no leaders. 
Um, so, you know, when I was trying to think about who would be in this film, it was tricky because I wanted, you know, obviously I would have loved to feature all of the women that I talked to and all of their stories were just incredible. And so it was really hard, but, you know, obviously I'm making a, a film and I can't have everybody in it. And in fact, I can't even include all the stories around Greenham because, it, you know, otherwise, you know, you guys would get bored, you know, there's not enough time, you know, we do need to focus it. So what I tried to do is find a dissection of what I would say was the community and look at a number of stories that I felt represented different experiences within the camp and experiences that a lot of the women may relate to. And um, also women that had different sort of perspectives as well on the whole protest. So um, the first woman is Carmen Thomas. Now she's really a key because she was one of the original founders. So it was at her house that these four women around a kitchen table started saying, well, let's do something. And this is when they created this, this group called Women for Life on Earth and they walked to the peace camp and then um, <laughs> they were like, oh, we've just walked 10 days and no one's um, showing up to talk to us. Uh, I know, the same old story. No one's taking us seriously. We, we better camp out. Oh, first of all, chain ourselves to the fence and then camp out here because maybe then they'll take notice. So, you know, her story is interesting from that perspective that she's like just one ran, you know, random woman, really, you know, just an ordinary woman, you know, like any of us who goes, oh, could we do something? And then look what happened. I mean, she said at the end of the film, it's like giving birth to a baby and then your baby grows up and it's like, whoa. And then, of course, she and a few other women went to the Soviet Union, which is a very uh, a scary uh, story, you know, the bravery of that and also just to be able to even think about it. I mean, it was not really um, considered by a lot of uh, peace activists to, to go over there and to even try and talk and find their counterparts. So she's interesting from that perspective. And then we have Chris Drake, who is a working class woman. And I think, you know, that then alone was important to me to get people from different, um, you know, socioeconomic groups within the peace camp. And for her, she actually goes to live at Greenham and has to leave her children uh, behind and her, her sister looks after them and she's a single parent at this point. And that whole, you know, the sacrifice of, of her leaving her kids there and the, what that meant for her when she ends up nearly having to go to prison and various things is a very huge emotional toll. So, you know, I don't want to like shy away from the fact that these women made huge sacrifices that had ongoing ramifications for them. So that's important for me um, to include her for that, but also because going to Greenham, it was a radical space for women. I mean, it started off being like, you know, centrally about um, nuclear, the nuclear issue, but because it was a women's peace camp, and this is the 80s, and there's a lot of issues around women's empowerment, around, um, you know, gay rights and things like that that started to manifest inside the camp so through being there she came out as a lesbian she said she always knew she was since she was 11 but it was through being with these her sisters you know that she felt that she could do that so her story is really important for that and then there's Rebecca Johnson who's just this amazingly articulate woman who who lived through the through like five years of this camp and really 
can like contextualize a lot of things and she was involved in some of the most exciting and brave actions like she actually went into the air traffic control tower and um, during the time that you know the missiles were there and also by the way you know the defense minister Michael Hasseltine has said you know you can shoot if you need to to the soldiers you know and so it's like you know she could potentially be risking her life doing this um so she she also went to America and was involved in the court case. So, yeah, her perspective is really helpful and, again, just shows you sort of like uh, some context on how the, the camp shifted and changed over that time. So the other, the other central, you know, characters of the film, um, and there's also Olga Medvedkov, who's one of the women in Russia that the Green Woman connect with. But I couldn't, you know, I decided I needed to keep it fairly small in terms of the character numbers because otherwise you're not going to have that emotional journey that you can follow with each of them because you need to be able to spend time with them, really understand what it's like to walk in their shoes and understand what it's like to be there with them. And so I thought that that was the key was to, to find you know, a dissection of the community and then focus in on their individual stories. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Briar Marsh. She is the director of the documentary film Mothers of the Revolution. And in just the last few minutes, I want to just kind of acknowledge just how much of an impact these women had on not only what happened in England and with the removal of the weapons, but also here in the United States. A couple of years later, we see the Great Peace March. A few, and not long after that, we see the the summit between Gorbachev and Reagan, in which they sign nuclear agreements that begin to reduce these this huge amount of nuclear weapons. And also, it, it was at Reykjavik where Gorbachev and Reagan met, and Reagan actually embraced the idea of eliminating nuclear weapons altogether. And as we see in the film, Mikhail Gorbachev, who was prime minister, premier of of the Soviet Union at the time, talked about these women, acknowledged, acknowledged it. I don't know if if you want to give too much. I don't don't want to give too much away. If you you choose to, you go ahead. But just how important, how important it was well beyond the work that they were able, the things they were able to accomplish in 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 England. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I think that's the whole point of this film is really to try and show to people the impact they made. And yeah, Rebecca Johnson was in a meeting, a pugwash event where she happened to, you know, Korbachev happened to be speaking. She was sitting in the front row and she asked the question, you know, what was, what did you think about the woman of Green Common and the wider peace movement of Europe? And he looked directly in her eyes and said, thank you. Thank you. You know, you helped me to feel like I, I could make those negotiations with Reagan and I knew that I could rely on you and I trusted you. And, and that is a really beautiful kind of finishing touch to the film. But I think, you know, it wasn't just, you know, we're not trying to say it was only because of that. We, we, there were, as I say, lots of different perspectives that helped to lead to that um, moment, but it was one of the perspectives that we haven't looked at as much. And I really hope that when people watch this film, they can think about, you know, issues like climate change now, and they can think about the same kind of, you know, feeling we often 
can feel a little bit of despair or a little bit of helplessness when there's something that's so huge and overwhelming. And I think that this film shows you that, you know, it's there's a really important place for grassroots movements. There's a reason to band together and do something. And when you look back at history, you can see the impact that it can make. Well, Briar March, congratulations on this film, Mothers of the Revolution. And I hope that everyone listening to the sound of our voices will seek this out. It's available on iTunes and other platforms, and so be looking for it. Mothers of the Revolution, and thank you, Director Pryor March, for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 